Greetings and welcome to the Dividing Line. James White along with uh, Rich Pierce in the control room. Uh, we are with you on a busy, busy day to get to lots of lots of stuff. I've promised to talk about I don't know how many different things. I have quite a list here. It's a long one. And let's just say it's improbable that I'll get through all of it, but we can give it a shot. And if I don't bog down, maybe we'll, uh, we'll make it. And so much is happening that to go back just a couple of days is to almost demonstrate your irrelevancy. But I did want to at least briefly uh, mention I had been asked to give my understanding of the presidential photo op a few days ago. Um, I understand that there is a tremendous amount of uh, dispute concerning what happened before the, the walking over to the, the Episcopalian Church uh, as to how protesters were removed. If they were protesters, it's sort of hard to make much of a meaningful distinction today between looting, rioting, protesting, and it all seemed to meld together, which is part of the problem, but it's also part of the process, I'm afraid. Anyway, there's dispute as to what happened there, and there are certain people who just, you know, they did this, they used tear gas or rubber bullets to get people out of there just so that Trump could get a photo op. Well, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. I so Certain people are saying, nope, that just never happened, but who's to know today? Who Who is to know today? That is That is part of the problem. Uh, when I first saw that, um, first of all, I'm, I'm thinking going out like that across the street seems somewhat foolhardy or maybe really brave or something. Um, and if there had been some meaningful address delivered over there that had some connection to the historical nature of the church. I mean, it's an apostate church today. Let's just be honest. It's it's a it's an empty shell. There's nothing Christian left about it. But it had a history in in the past of having had some meaning to it. But I didn't see anything of that. All I see is a brief picture. Someone told me it was nine seconds, grand total, of Trump standing in front of the sign. It does say all are welcome. <laughs> it's, I'm not sure that that was really what they wanted to have up there at that point in time. But staying there holding a uh, revised standard version Bible, someone actually blew that thing up and sent it to me and said, so much for the King James only, guys. I was like, okay, I wouldn't have even thought to look, but all right, fine. So he had an RSV. Um, holding a Bible. And just standing there with people taking pictures. I I have friends and brothers who were thrilled by that because they would know they you know, they'd say, look, Obama would never do that. Um, Biden would never do that. Um, Clinton did do that. <laughs> but let's be honest, folks, anything in the 90s or before is irrelevant now. That's ancient history. That's 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 a different country. It's a different country. Very, very, very different country. And so some, some brothers were like, see, I mean, that was a powerful statement. I was 
left significantly less than moved. And I was so, for many reasons, I, I do not see how in light of, well, first of all, he's surrounded himself by, with abject heretics that I doubt are at all presenting any meaningful gospel presentation to him. But I don't like public prayers, personally, because an act of worship and, it, and cramming an act of worship into secular activities or things like that, just simply to have a religious element to it, has always bothered me. Um, it, I think it cheapens things. And so it just it struck me like a photo op. It struck me uh, like appealing to a particular part of the base. I don't know what's in his heart. I don't know what he thinks about that book. I, I don't know what kind of time he spends with it or, or anything else. I, I just don't know. Um, maybe he's spending more time with it now than he has in the past. I, I would not want to have his job right now, I can assure you of that. And we are to pray for our leaders... And so, yeah, but I was left really cold by it. I, it wasn't a massive thing of offense, um, but it certainly struck me as um, political in its orientation. Would I like to believe better of him? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But it, it did seem very much political in its, you know, I'm still in charge, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I was asked, so, so there you go. I, it's not, you know, it's not Trump trying to start a theocracy or any of the other absurdities that, that are out there. I, I think I, right now, uh, a man who is an alleged minister actually is speaking at that funeral and he's one of the most political people on the planet. So, uh, but he's on the left. So, um, there you go. Um, so there, there's, there's what I thought about. We are embroiled in so many different conversations right now that I don't know how any of us can keep track of all of them. We are overwhelmed. Uh, there are a lot of even secular people saying, look, you just need to unplug. Maybe uh, maybe spend a few minutes each day with some trusted news sources and, and then just just if you're listening 24-7, if you're even listening for more than you know an hour at a time or anything like that, you're just going to you're going to be overwhelmed and you're going to be depressed and you're going to be uh, easily manipulated. But one of the conversations has been the murder charges against Chauvin, Chauvin, however you say Chauvin, however you say his name, it looks like a, a French variant of Calvin. Actually, um, I've seen a C A U V I N uh, for for Calvin in the past. Anyway, the police officer, and I'm just going to be straight up honest with you. I can't prove any of this, but there seems to be really good evidence that he and Floyd worked at the same place for a period of time. I've always felt like there was something weird about the look on his face while he was kneeling on that man's back, especially his hand in his pocket. 
And the other officer that you see holding the people back, who seems to be Vietnamese or something along those lines, um, the look on his face, his relationship to Chauvin, there's something going on there that I will probably end up, we will find out about months from now. But I just have a feeling that there was something more there, that there was something personal. Um, I don't know if it has, I don't know if that man has, has, is a racist at all. I mean, that's just, that's just now the, that's what you have to believe. That's just, well, there's, whether you have any evidence for it or not, it's become the meme. And so white, white cop on black man's back kills him. That's now just the meme. Um, despite the fact that in all of 2019, according to the Washington Post, in all of 2019, there were 10 such incidents, nine with men, one with a woman, um, where you had unarmed people in that situation. That's the now that's different than the 2020 incident because that man was subdued. That's that's where the issue is. The man, what can he do? He's flat on his face. He's I think they had zip tied his legs and his hand. There was no reason to be there. None. So there's the amazing thing is it's almost like somebody went, uh oh, we have absolute unanimity that what that man did was wrong and was murder. We better do something about this. We can't we can't we can't have any situation where the society is actually united on something. We've got to make sure everything divides, everything divides, and so everything blew up from there. But no one was no one was arguing otherwise. And Yet, what is the what is the narrative now? The narrative is genocide. The narrative is this is happening in every city in the United States every day. That there are literally thousands of black men being murdered by white cops every day across the United States. I mean, that, if you listen to most of the mainstream media, that's what you'd get. I mean, that, what else does genocide mean? But that's the terminology that's being used. Last year, 10. Um, and from what I've seen, what I looked at, at least four or five of them, the unarmed person attacked a cop, tried to run him over with a car, jumped him, tried to beat him, tried to take the gun, whatever. Um, and I think in four of the 10 charges were brought, and I think there were convictions in two. But you add that up, and that's less than one a month in a nation of 330 million people. That is, those numbers do not substantiate the narrative. They just don't. The, the facts just aren't there. Um, what you do have was, I think it was, what was it, 7,757 blacks who were murdered in the United States, almost all by other blacks, during the same time period. Um, the facts and then the narrative don't match. That's why you have to prepare the ground beforehand so that you can manipulate people. You teach them to emote rather than to think so that you can control them with the narrative and they won't ask what are the facts. And in fact, they'll get offended if you offer the facts. That's 
where we are today. That's where we are today. And so I was thinking about um, why do people want that officer, Chavon, to be punished? Well, what, what punishment do they want? You see, it went from third degree to second degree. Now, doing a little more reading, the third degree charge is still there, so that's good. Because it felt to me like there was be- pressure being placed upon the prosecutors because people don't understand murder charges. They understand the legal system. And so prosecutors file charges based upon what they believe they are able to prove in a court of law. And the standard is much, much higher than that offered by a mob. Okay? Mobs don't have standards. And so when you put pressure to increase the charge, you are increasing the likelihood of a not guilty verdict when the jury takes their role seriously. I don't know how you're ever going to impanel a jury on this one. I really don't know. I, how? I've, I've been involved in juries before. It was not an encouraging thing. It really was not. <laughs> there, there was, we were on one jury and this one guy, we got in the room and he just let us know. The cop said this, I will never convict on the testimony of any cop, that's it. And he would not budge. And somehow in the questioning beforehand, the picking, it was a hung, hung jury. And we were mad. We had spent all this time, and there's this this absolutely unreasonable individual who just, nope, not going to do it. Just wouldn't even talk about it. Just, nope, not going to do it. Wouldn't talk about facts. So I've had some bad experiences along those lines. But anyway, um, what kind of punishment do you want? And in light of what we're now seeing, what kind of punishment could even be offered? Let me pull this up. Uh, did y'all see this? I'm, I'm sure y'all did. Um, this is a screenshot from the video that went viral of all these very lily white people raising their hands, seated or on their knees or whatever, being led in some, it looks like, it looks like an altar call. It looks like an act of religious worship. And it is. It is an act of religious worship. Um, but I think it's Black Lives Matter. And they're all being led in this, I will love my black brother and you know, repent of my white privilege and all the rest of this type of stuff going on. Um, if the foundation of this is real, why punish one man? Why not punish them all? Because they all have privilege. They're all a part of systemic racism, right? By definition. Because critical race theory doesn't care what's in your heart. Critical race theory does not care about how just you have been, how fair you have been. Critical race theory does not care if you have treated every person, black, brown, red, green, chartreuse, whatever, um, that doesn't matter. 
If you've treated them all justly, it doesn't matter. You still have white privilege and you're part of, the, of, of, of systemic racism. And you're to get down on your knees and beg for forgiveness for stuff that happened in the past that you had nothing to do with, but you did have something to do with it just simply because, by definition, you are a part of the white supremacy. So if he represents, if Chauvin just represents um, white supremacy, then what he himself did is just part of a system. Why, why focus on him? Why not, why not everybody else? You see, once you embrace CT of any kind, not just CRT, that's one important part of it, but once you embrace critical theory as a whole, you, you've got to go with all of it. And you lose the central aspect of what Christians believe about a person's responsibility before God. A person has responsibility before God in regards to the desires of their hearts and acting on the desires of their heart. That's the basis of judgment. The basis of judgment is my acting upon the desires of my heart. Now, God can restrain my acting upon the desires of my heart, and I am so thankful that he does and has done so, but that's, that's the only basis of judgment that we can have, and as image bearers, we attempt to um, apply God's law in such a way as to represent, in our frail fashion, the desire for justice that that can then allow us to do in this life, recognizing that it's not going to be a perfect justice in this life. That's why there is that great day coming when justice will be done in, in perfection. But let's say, let's say he's put away for life. And so we give him three, three meals a day and medical care um, and house him for, for the rest of his life, however long that might be. Let's say 50 years. What has that accomplished? Would justice have been done? I don't see how justice would be done in that. But I'm still functioning on a biblical concept. Our, our society has rejected that biblical concept. That's what's, that's what's going on around us right now. This, these spasms of violence are the transition from the old, abandoned English common law derived from the Bible worldview to a secular worldview that has no basis for any of this stuff other than the mob. And the mob burns out eventually, and you end up with totalitarianism. You end up with a... The irony is the people, for example, who right now want to defund the police don't realize they will end up with a police state. <laughs> Just different kind of police. Very different kind of police. Um, so, the, the reality is people are screaming about justice without a worldview that allows them to even begin to define what justice is in the first place. 
there is no such thing as justice in a secular world. In a secular, in a secular worldview, without the one true God to provide transcendental meaning, transcendent meaning, to mankind, justice must be defined by brute force. And so, right now, you have forces using the word justice to bring about fundamental, foundational change in the United States, the overthrow of a constitutional republic. The replacement, which will be secular in its orientation, has nothing to replace that with. And since anarchy cannot exist long term, it burns itself out. Once it burns itself out, the vacuum that is left goes to the strong. And hence, liberty, freedom, all those things that we valued, there's no basis for continuing them within a secular concept. So, so what do we want? What do we want in punishing this officer? In light of critical race theory, he is no more or less guilty than any other white person. Because none of us are judged on the basis of what filled our heart. Let's say he had tremendous animus toward this man, and let's say it was race-based. Let's say it wasn't something that was between them or something. Let's say it was race-based. Let's say he, that, that's exactly why he did it. It doesn't matter. Not in CRT. Not in CRT. He's just one of the many white supremacists. He's just one p- cog. Punishing him accomplishes nothing. It doesn't overthrow white supremacy. You have to punish them all. So, what? Where, where do you? How does that work? Not only that, but CRT, critical race theory, all the CTs, critical gender theory, any epistemology that seeks to break down rather than build up, to connect, to disconnect rather than to connect. That's what we're facing today, and. Remember a couple of years ago when uh, Brandon House called me a useful idiot? And that was derived from the communists that used that term where they would use people to bring about revolution. But then, of course, as soon as revolution took place, those are the first people you got rid of um, because they didn't have a place in your new system. It's sort of like the Chinese Communist Party is utilizing the social justice warriors in the West to break down our society. But as soon as a CCP-style government comes in, those are the first people you lock up. They're the first people you get rid of. Uh, Because you're not going to allow that now. Now that you have power, you're not going to allow anything to divide that. You're going to control the vertical and the horizontal. And those people, that's it for them. They served their purpose. They were useful idiots. They... They were, in essence, spending themselves so as to bring about their own destruction. And that's what we're seeing today. Um, Do you really think if you push everything to the left, just look to the left? There are already nations doing this. There are nations out there. Do they have any of them established this socialist paradise? I mean, I was... I was reading this, again, I I follow a few people way off to the left, 
was reading, reading this one woman this morning, and they literally are, are still doing the coming socialist paradise thing where they, they just don't take seriously. Well, they don't possess. Some of them, this particular one in particular, has rejected a biblical anthropology. So, once you reject that biblical anthropology, um, your your all of your dreams of this panacea, where everyone's content with what they have. Have, have, have we learned anything over the past few days watching these videos of streams and streams of people running out of stores? with their arms filled, only to be attacked by other people stealing the stuff they have in their arms. But literally, people pulling up outside of stores in much fancier cars than I could ever afford just to run in there and grab some Nikes and then run back out and jump back into their cars and drive off. How does having a socialist panacea change any of that? Do you really think those folks are just all of a sudden going to be satisfied with government-made sneakers and a government-made car just because that's what everybody has now? There are people that really actually seem to think this way. It's, it's, It's a fantasy. It's empty. And I, I just know there's going to come a day when a bunch of people go sit around going, man, did we have it good in 2019? We'll never get back to that now. I mean, we just, we just gave it all up. Yep. Yep. Dead. Dead. The mob, the mob took over. And mobs don't think. Mobs just act. They don't think. They're, they're controlled by a small number of people. But once you join the mob, your critical thinking capacity goes away. It's just psh, gone. It's why it's why you see people behaving like animals, beating people and killing people and just behaving like animals, because that's how the pack mentality, that's how animals survive. And once we lose the ability to think things through, got to join the mob, got to join the gang. Um, yeah, it's um, so. How does this then interface with the church? Well, it was uh, just over two years ago that the uh, the switch got flipped, and we started seeing just how deeply entrenched people who were willing to promote critical race theory, intersectionality. Now, of course, they they will. They wanted to use other terms, but they're promoting these things. And they have taken positions in seminaries and denominational uh, thing places and leadership positions. I mentioned earlier this uh, book I started reading, didn't read all of it, but uh, called Rediscipling the White Church, uh, Professor Moody Bible Institute, MBI. Nothing but a social justice, CRT, intersectionality, primer handbook. It was There was really nothing new about it. It was just your standard stuff. And this is at Moody Bible Institute. 
how did that happen? How did how did Southern Baptist seminaries and uh, denominational institutions so rapidly embrace this stuff? It's not that it has an overwhelming argument behind it. It doesn't. But it does appeal to the product of the American educational system. It appeals to emotion. It appeals to people who emote rather than think first. It appeals to people who think only in the short term rather than the long term, who don't see how long-term commitments and issues relate to one another. Instead, the shorter-thinking, emotive individual is much more easily controlled by the kinds of appeals that this this type of perspective produces. And so the church is not responding with any type of unified voice. I mean, Joel Osteen showing up at protests, really? In a mask at first, of course, but um, Joel Osteen showing up. And, and just so many, under the name of Christ, are showing up And it's one thing to say, like everybody said, that what the officer did was murder. It's another thing to then turn around and say, and so what we need to do about that is literally invite into our land the same worldview and governmental system that has suppressed the Christian church in Europe, in Russia under the Soviet Union, is doing so in North Korea, in Venezuela, in China right now. Let's invite that in and establish it here. That is a level of foolishness that I cannot begin to understand. I cannot begin to understand it. You have to be so emotionally compromised that... Or just not know anything about history or go, well, that's not what we're doing. We're not inviting that. Well, what are you inviting in? What, what are the specific worldview differences? All of you who are running around saying that we need to make a change. Okay, you're talking about the Constitution of the United States. It ain't doing a good enough job anymore. So what are you going to replace it with? What's that going to be built upon? The next generations do not have a Christian worldview, and they are finally to the point where the remnants of that Christian worldview are pretty much no longer relevant to them. So what are they going to build that's going to take mankind seriously? And this is sort of important because no matter what the next government looks like, they're still going to have nuclear weapons. Um, it, it's, 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 it's astonishing to me to see how many Christians... And we look, we started, I really, well, okay, 2010, I addressed some of this, and a few years later, and then in 2018 with the MLK stuff, that's when we really started talking about this particular issue. I was not the first one on the block by a long shot, by a long shot. But you can recognize just the rabidly unbiblical characteristic of this stuff if you'll just think about it. Consider what the scriptures say about the basis of unity amongst Christians. And that, that, the first 
number of weeks that I talked about this stuff. That's what we did. We went to the scriptures. We looked at Colossians. We looked at Ephesians. We talked about the Lord's Supper. We talked about all these things that are so vital. None of that has changed. None of that was ever refuted at all. But now what we see is what happens when you have, for example, people being elected to office who have fully bought into critical race theory and related intersectionality and things like that. So in an entire night, the St. Louis police force arrests 34 people for rioting and looting. They're all released the next morning without any charges. Because your elected officials will not enforce the law any longer. They just won't do it. Um, so why should the cops go back out there the next night and risk their lives to arrest anybody else? Well, they're, they're, just, they're, just going after, uh, they're just going after businesses, and they all have insurance anyways. What, what about when they start coming after your home? What if you live over your business? Um, all of this is just absolute pure insanity. I was chatting, I tried to chat with someone last night on uh, Twitter, a brother by the name of Social Conservative. And I had made some statement, again, about critical theory. And he started coming after me by, by basically saying, well, look, um, you know where do you get where do you get your numbers and stuff like that and i again there have been the washington post article was has been f- rather widely discussed over the past couple of days as to the 2019 uh statistics and the numbers and uh, yeah hardly yeah hardly a right wing publication and so very quickly it escalated to so you're saying that black people are just genetically worse than white people and I could tell he's a black fellow, so I'm like, um, you know what? I, I've said my piece. Maybe sometime in the future, uh, I, I used the term from Star Trek. Uh, it, it seems like you're emotionally compromised, um, which he took as an ad hominem. I had to say good night like four times, and he just would not let it go. I did not block him. Or I did not mute him. Um. Almost, if he had probably done one more tweet, just kept keep going and going, trying to keep it going, and um, so on and so forth. But at one point, and I can't find the tweet anymore, but at, at one point, I, I sort of answered his question. He's saying, well, why, why are you, what's the answer? Why is this such an issue in the black population? Now, remember, we went over this in June of last year. Remember, it's been almost exactly one year. It was right around my anniversary last year, late June, I think it was my anniversary last year, that I tweeted that thing about abortion and, um, and the black community. And, oh, you know, that resulted in, you know, that one professor taking my books off of his apologetics list because uh, for hate mongering and all, all this insanity that, took place. And, and that gave us an idea just how deeply rooted all this stuff was. We, it, it, we really shouldn't be all that shocked that we're seeing all this now. That so many people are willing to you know, engage in the revolution. But I, I quoted a single line from Romans 1 
in one of my tweets. And he didn't seem to catch it or ask about it or whatever. And he was basically saying, so, so why, why are these numbers so high? You know, the fatherless numbers. And, and remember, we went up, we, we've gone over this stuff, and we demonstrated that there are similar numbers outside the United States. It was the thing about slavery. It was, it was which, is, which is more relevant? Um, something happened 160 years ago or so on and so forth. And, and oh, everybody just, just lost their minds. Because the new social dogma is that all the problems are due to what happened in the past. That, that's what you have to believe. You, you have to be constantly looking backwards. And since you can't change the past, nothing can ever be done. The past will always be the past. And if the past cripples you somehow, then you will always be crippled. You'll always be a victim. That's just, there's, there's no way out of it. It's just a constant situation. So he asked, so why, why is it so much worse? Why are the, the percentages and, and all the rest of this, why is it so much worse? Are you just saying that we're just genetically worse or something like that? You can't answer this question. In fact, um, one of the last ones that he wrote was uh, Oak, that's me, uh, knows he doesn't have the knowledge about this talk, topic to give substantive answers about it beyond its sin then covers up his inability to answer by saying that I don't have the right frame of mind to engage. Well, uh, I just really honestly felt that um, you weren't going to get anything out of that. There, there wasn't going to be anything accomplished in light of the clear emotional element that was present uh, already at that particular point in time. So, um, so sometimes when I look over there, it's because if Twitter brings up like a video or something, it can be extremely extracting because it's d- distracting because there's something moving over there. And you, you finally, you want to get to a point where, no, all right. Um, uh, I need to get something. that's just text. So I don't have to worry about it. Anyway, I had quoted from Romans chapter one. Let, let's, let's remind ourselves toward the end of Romans chapter one, we have these words. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge to have in the epinosis, you know, it, it, I think the New American Standard rendering there is a little bit weak. Just they did not see fit to acknowledge Guy any longer. Actually, to have him in their knowledge, in their experiential knowledge. They, they don't want God to intrude upon their thoughts. God gave them over. Literally, it's gave them over is the first term. Paradidomy. Gave them over unto an adakimon nun. Depraved um, non-functioning mind. The mind of man is impacted by sin. To do the things that should not be done, the things that are not proper. And then you have one of the more interesting viceless, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, got a lot going on, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers. Then I always mention this and never spend a lot of time on it, but but Theostugais in Romans one thirty, 
probably means hated by God, but it's normally translated haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. That pretty much describes almost everything I've been watching on Twitter recently as people beat other people senseless. And although they know the dikaioma, the ordinance, the righteous commandment of God, that those who do such things, the ones practicing such things, are worthy of death. In other words, are liable before God for receiving the ultimate punishment for their deeds, they not only do the same things, but also give hearty approval. They join together in the giving of approval to those who practice them. So rebellion loves company. And it was that last line that I quoted. And so here's my answer to that brother's question. Why do we see these unusual elevated numbers? Well, first of all, you have a community that polices itself as far as thought is concerned. What do I mean? What are the numbers for voting amongst American blacks? Does anyone dispute that I think, where was, where was Trump? Uh, 6%? So, I think around 6 So 94%, minimally, normally it's 97, so sometimes as high as 98%. Unanimity in voting. That doesn't seem right. There is a clear, um, accepted, practiced effort at groupthink. You want proof of this? Look at any of my Christian brothers who ever dare question the narrative in the black community. What's the first thing that happens? They are insulted. They are attacked. They're called Uncle Toms. They're called crackers. They're called whatever. Oreos. Seen all those terms used. If you dare break with the group think, you will be attacked. The evidence of that is not cannot even be disputed. Um, that one guy that I've gone back and forth with a few times, um, who should not have this name, but Bishop Swan, is that the guy's name? Um, just before the program started, I was noticing that he had posted something um about the young black conservative woman. And it was absolutely, there it is, Bishop Talbert Swan, about Candace Owens. This is a black man talking about a black woman. Candace Owens is a pathetic, self-loathing, uneducated, homely, get you some glasses, son, a grifting, sycophantic, white supremacy apologist who gets paid to make white racists feel comfortable as blackface co-signing their bigotry. 
She's bought and paid for. She's trash. That's Bishop Talbert Swan. That's what happens when you leave the reservation. That's what happens. Or as, as Candace Owen puts it, when you leave the plantation. There is groupthink. And everybody knows it. That's the, again, this is not even arguable. The, the, anybody who just step back and go, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of pressure to conform. There's a lot of pressure to be a part of the group, to not think differently. I can't tell you how many young black men I have told me that they've developed a love for theology and stuff like that, and they are discouraged to pursue it because that doesn't fit the characteristics. That doesn't fit the, what you're supposed to be. You're, you're looking like Whitey. That's what they've told me. That's what they tell me. That's, that's the pressure that is brought against them. So, you combine that groupthink pressure that is there with a historical narrative, a very carefully selected historical narrative that emphasizes some aspects and de-emphasizes others, ignores any role that blacks had. It's all about whites. Let's not worry about slavery that was produced by Arabic peoples or anything. No, no, no. It's just whites. That's all that matters. You create a historical narrative to which you become absolutely dedicated Similar to, you know, well, Drew Brees is in the news today. So I've found that folks born in New Orleans tend to be almost religiously dedicated to the saints. And you're considered a turncoat if you support anybody else. Well, there's a sports analogy. This becomes a ethnicity analogy. If you think anything other, if you go any other different direction, if you ha- think, if you take the time to read books and go, you know, that's not the full story. There was, it's a little bit more complicated than that. That's considered being traitorous to your own people. And how many times have people like Candace Owens or um, Clarence Thomas or Thomas Sowell or any of these, these Walter Williams, any of these people who dare to say something, how many times? Have they been accused of being traitors to their race? We can look it up, Google it. You'll see it. Oh, you'll see it in published works. This none of nothing that I'm saying right now is even semi-disputable. So, with that in mind, if you have that kind of a context, then what does Romans one thirty two say? Although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So, when you have a population that already has a external form of, not external, not, not external outside the, outside the, the uh, population, but a consistent emphasis upon maintaining unanimity of thought. Once a particular line of sin becomes popular with the leadership or is useful to the leadership in continuing to control the thinking of that group, then you get encouragement from within that group to behave as Romans one thirty two says. So, What has happened over the past, since the 1960s? 
massive fatherlessness. Where does that come from? Was there some false teacher that came in and started teaching on the wonders of fatherlessness? No, it was a combination of things, but the leaders found it to be extremely useful in pushing the narrative that gives them power within that particular population. So, I just simply have to sit back and say to a Christian, are you telling me that you cannot see instances in history where a particular people developed a propensity toward certain kinds of sin based upon the context in which they found themselves in? You're saying sin can't operate that way? That, 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 that no one would ever engage in these sins and then also give hearty approval to others who practice them with them? You can't see how groupthink? You can't see, you can't look at the black community right now and realize that there has been a massive change in its view of marriage, sexuality, modesty, the family. You can't see that? And you can't understand that from a biblical perspective, why that might happen at this day, in this hour? You can't see that? The entire society has seen a tremendous increase in a rejection of biblical standards of morality. Whites, Hispanics, Asians, it's, it's, it's all across the board. But the community that was hurt by it first and deepest was the one that already had the narrative that allowed that to happen. If we, if we wanted to use an analogy, it's the community that ha- was most close-knit that is going to be the one in most danger of passing a pathogen around. And in this case, it's a sin pathogen. It's a sin pathogen. And so the man wanted an answer, so I gave him one. Now disprove it biblically. Because as I said to him, look, the, are, you not, are you not disputing the numbers? Are the, the numbers you agree are accurate numbers? So there has to be an explanation for it. And a biblical explanation has to deal with sin. Or you're, All the sociologists in the world are not going to be able to come up with an answer. And what's worse is, when the church accepts the sociologists as the ultimate authority, then what happens is, biblical norms are then turned into shallow replacements for uh, sociological conclusions. And so you just, you, you, you redefine a biblical belief as the sociological practice and just attach the name to it and then call that Bible, and it's not. And it's not. So, there you go. Um, my response to that fellow. You were pulling the microphone up a while back, and I think that's why you brought me over this camera, because when I'm looking up there, I can't see what you're doing. So, it's like, yeah, okay. Um, the wife and I were... There it is. Uh we were talking on the way in this morning, and it occurred to me, in all the videos I've seen of what happened 
when George Floyd died. I haven't seen a single one that showed anyone trying to resuscitate him. No attempt at all. Well, that's because they didn't... My understanding is they picked him up and put him in the ambulance. Once they got him in the ambulance, they checked for signs, so it was already inside the ambulance. But here's the thing. What came out from the body cams that they announced yesterday was one of the other police officers that was sitting on him said he has no pulse. Oh, I didn't know that. He has no pulse. That's that's why they elevated the charge from third to second. He has no pulse and asked Chauvin, should we turn him over? He has no pulse. And Chauvin insisted they don't. Stay on him. Yeah, it just makes me wonder. when When they rolled him over to put him on the gurney, they knew he was dead. But yet they... I have, like I said, I haven't seen a single picture of anybody trying to resuscitate that no. man. And that's where I sit back and go, okay, second fits. Well, it's going to be harder to do, but yeah. you can't get past. I, I wouldn't get past that. Well, the bot, you know, the body cam stuff probably will not be released until the fires go out. Well, um, because if it shows something like that, then yeah. Uh, Yes. I mean, I hope they have what they need. Yeah. My my, con- my concern is he's not going to walk. No. It's not going to be a Rodney King thing. No. Um, but my concern was if, because I don't, jurisdictions are different. So sometimes yeah. if you go for one level, you can't go for the other level, blah, right. blah, 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 blah. My concern was if they fold the pressure to go for something they don't know that they can actually get, yeah. and he does get off, yeah. oh my goodness. Well, hopefully it's one of those circumstances where they can charge and give the jury I think that's what I read they're, they're able to do. But like that said, that, that differs from state to state. Yeah. So, you know, who knows? Um, but, yeah, that's, that's the thing that got me was I, I never saw anybody trying to resuscitate him. No one trying to do a, a heart massage, anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Oh, okay. All right. I do need to get to this. Um over the course, uh, two days ago, I was given a copy of what's called a national resource list. Now, what had happened was someone who was involved with the looting, rioting, Antifa stuff had developed a conscience and had passed this material along to people on the other side, and I had been given a copy of this. Now, I've got, I'm got, got no problem talking about anything in this right now because I found it online. It's public. If you just if you can do a little digging, you can find it for yourself. So, big deal. What I said was, in looking at it, that it proves beyond any shadow of a doubt the organization, premeditation, um, that this, this, is, this, this did not just... These are not just a bunch of people who are just angry about the lack of justice that just decide to take the streets. Those pallets of bricks and boxes of rocks did not just show up from Amazon. I, I haven't looked. Maybe somebody else has. Um, but um, I, I, can you buy boxes of rocks? I, 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 I'm, I, I've not seen that in, uh, in Amazon Prime. Um, you know, for delivery to the corner of... <laughs> it's just... I don't, I don't see that happening. Um, as I look at this document, and again, it's on Google. It's a Google Docs thing. Um, 
I tracked it down. If you want to track it down, you can find it by going to Twitter. Um, sorry about this name, but this is the Twitter handle. Botanical Dyke. Botanical D-Y-K-E. Um, scroll down through the feed there, and it's public. You can find it. And I've got a, there's an email address in it, so you can figure out who it is, but looks like some transgendered person or something. Anyways, what you find here is a huge list, state by state, sometimes city by city, of lawyers willing to do pro bono work to get your tush out of jail so you can get back to doing your rioting. And there are uh, funds, how you can contribute to the funds. What's interesting is a number of the funds, like in Minnesota and New York, they're marked um, uh, no need. In other words, they're full up. They've got all the money they need. You've got all those Hollywood stars giving hundreds of thousands of dollars so they can uh, do this kind of stuff. But uh, how to get people to donate and um, all this kind of stuff, all these international uh, uh, Canadian uh, bail funds and things like that that you can go to. Atlanta, the Bay Area, Chicago, Cleveland, Connecticut, Dallas, Texas. Um, I was interested to notice there wasn't anything in Phoenix. <laughs> Maybe why we haven't had as much stuff here. Miami, Minneapolis, um, all sorts of stuff. Like the Minneapolis Freedom Fund, no longer need funds. The North Star Health Collective, no longer need funds, etc., uh, etc. Et uh, page after page. Folks, it takes time to collate this kind of information. It doesn't happen overnight. This is stuff that people have been working on, contacting people about for a long time before this started. Before this started, okay? Just page after page after page. What? What? Oh, there are two. Well, yeah. Okay, there is a Black People's Justice Fund. Yeah, okay. Um, but all this stuff. So you get past all of this. Tips for protesters. You've got links to Google Docs containing the best practices for before, during, and after protests. I wonder if they have anything about, you know, rehydration, the proper diet, food. No, I don't know. Um, maintaining your respiratory health while protesting. This is... If you're screaming all the time, it is good to rest the voice or something like that. Riot medicine. Oh, avoid wearing your contacts. Tear gas is particularly harmful for you. That's good. Um, how to hide your tattoos and other identifying marks. Uh, how to handle... Oh, a resource on deleting your digital footprint. Uh, how to treat bullet wounds. That's right. Um, riot medicine. Um, oh, and I had, we, were, we had somebody introduce us to this. Many people recommended using Signal to communicate. It is more secure than, uh, than your DMs or Twitter or Instagram. More on Signal here. More tips on making your phone more secure. An entire thread that you can read. Uh, the best policy is to watch what you text and make sure you're not including your location on your social media post. Turn off your location. Oh, by the way, did you all notice? Uh, Apple. I love this story. <laughs> Apple is tracking all the iPhones that were stolen from its stores. <laughs> 
I wouldn't be surprised they have some way of just turning those things into bricks. Uh, what? Oh, really? Well, that's because the cops here have have time to do that. In a lot of other places, you know, what the the cops are a little bit busy. Uh, did you see the guy with the like the the Klingon batleth yesterday? Wasn't that great? He comes ripping back, and he comes out, and he's got this thing, and these really brave, you know, eighteen to twenty year olds are wetting their pants and running 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 for the hills. Yeah, it's great. What? You don't need it? No, no, no. Um, I'm not going to get into it. Uh, so uh, for police interactions, general social media uh, tips. Um, but then, here, you ready for this? Then you have, for example, reading material. In Defense of Looting by Vicky, Vicky Osterweil. In Defense of Looting. These people are literally making a case for looting. If you're a Christian, you need to stop and go, wait a minute, I can't go there. That's right, you can't. The Bible has clear teachings on this, but a lot of you don't care what the Bible's teachings are on that. You're much more concerned about virtue signaling and feeling good about yourself and joining in something else. But do not use your social media page to discourage looting or violent protest. It's counter-revolutionary to use your platform this way. A quick response. Ready? Quote, violence aimed at the recovery of human dignity and at equality cannot be judged by the same yardstick as violence aimed at maintenance of discrimination and oppression. Doesn't that sound, doesn't that just make your little social justice heart beat a little faster? I mean, don't you just feel all intersectional? Oh, goodness, that's from Walter Rodney. I mean, what, what a sentence of hooey. What a sentence of hooey. You can take that apart six ways from Sunday just by asking for definitions. Just by asking for definitions. Violence aimed at the recovery of human dignity. Really? And, and how does that recover human dignity? Exactly. Um, remember the guy smashed over the head with a, with a skateboard, rock? Well, how was he left bleeding on the ground? How about the 77-year-old retired police captain in St. Louis? Left gurgling his last, his last breaths on Facebook Live. Did that, did that help recover human dignity? Exactly how did that do that, uh, Mr. Rodney? Cannot be judged by the same, oh, uh, of human dignity and that equality. Oh, my, make sure, make sure you mark that term. There, there is a beautiful word that has been absolutely turned into its exact opposite by critical theory. Critical theory turns equality upside down. It's, it's amazing. And then right below that's the reading material, In Defense of Looting by Vicki Osterweil. Do not share videos and photos of the murder of George Floyd or any other black person who has been murdered, uh, who has been murdered, I imagine, by police or anyone for that matter. These, these videos are the lynching postcards of our time. Uh, reading material, White Witness and the Contemporary Lynching by Zoe Samudzi. Um, 
Do the work to unlearn and to fight all of your racist conditioning, i.e. innocence and criminality. This is, this is pure intersectionality, critical theory, social justice theory, taken to its nth degree so as to produce revolution. That's what this is. Violent revolution. That's right. Reading material, threads of documentaries, um, all sorts of, you know, a guide to allyship, etc., etc., etc. This could not have been put together given the huge number of resources and people in the period of time of the last week. It has been being put together for a long time. Okay? So, um, there was a brother on, um, on Twitter that was mocking me uh, for my having made reference to what I was reading. Uh, there he is. Uh, Justin Keck. Um, and he said eight hours ago, James, you produce an actual document people can read for themselves that backs up your claims. I'll happily offer a humble apology. Till then, this sounds like so many of the claims PNP makes of documents supporting some wild and horrible thing, but then never getting dot, dot, dot. Um, so this is exactly what I said it was. It demonstrates the connectedness, the organization, um, that these people are working together, that this is nationally organized. Exactly what I said. So, Justin, I, I will accept gladly your apology when it appears just in any few moments um, in my feed. I'll be, I'll be looking for that. What? <laughs> no, let's, let's, let's hope the best. Let's let's hope the best. Um, hey, have you seen what Babylon B is doing? Yes. yes, Babylon B has changed their 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 uh, their B to a rainbow B, um, and and I was like, I, I stand behind the B uh, because basically it was saying, please don't flood us again. Because <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the plague of darkness, I think, is coming up. Um, yeah. Okay. How about some quick screenshots here? This is called child abuse. Uh, this is called conditioning. This is horrible. This makes me absolutely sick and ill. Beautiful little girl on her knee. Privileged. Black Lives Matter. Um, wow. Um, so... I guess we could have a picture of one of LeBron James's kids uh, with a holding a sign that says "Privileged White Lives Matter." Right? I mean, that'd be fair because this little girl doesn't look like she has anything near what LeBron James's kids would have. Right? And if you're sitting there going, "No, no, no," you just understand. No, I understand exactly what lies you've been told. I understand exactly what worldview you have swallowed down, and I know it's a lie. And you have been conditioned to respond to the exposure of the lie with emotion. You could never defend this in a meaningful fashion in a moderated public debate. You couldn't do it. Because eventually it all boils back down to feelings, emotions, experience. You need to listen to the other side and their experiences. My experience does not define your truth. Your experience does not define my truth because we don't have truths. There's only one truth. There's only one truth. 
I, that's just this is just child abuse. Okay, pull that down and ah. then we have this one, and all the Presbyterians went crazy because of the Second Commandment violation. Um, destruction of property is not a valid form of protest. Then Jesus overthrowing the money changers' temple, uh, the money changers' tables in the temple. I, I'll be honest with you. I saw this posted so many times with people asking the question, how do I respond to this? And I just want to go. I want to, yeah, here. here. This is, that's, that's how, that's how I, I respond to that, is uh, Jean-Luc Picard going, really? Um, this does not require a lot of study of the Bible to recognize how horrifically dumb it is. It really doesn't. I mean, okay, um, they are in the temple making money off of the sacrifices that people are bringing to the temple. They are exchanging. I mean, you could bring a perfectly fine animal, but you have to have a temple-approved animal, and so you have to exchange it, and it's going to cost you some money, and then there's the exchange of money to the proper money for the temple. And, of course, there's that little excess in there. And the point is, these people have invaded the precincts of the temple that God had established for his worship. Oh, and Jesus is the incarnate son. So it was he and the Father and the Spirit that ordained these things. And so he said, this is my father's house. It's not the house of merchants. And so he has the right to cleanse that house. Has absolutely positive. The very idea that anyone would parallel this with some thug throwing a Molotov cocktail into a place of business, burning down the grocery stores in poor communities is so disgusting to me, I don't even know what to say. I have no respect for someone that can be that much of an imbecile to present that kind of of apparel. It is that absurd. It is that absurd. It's just... Okay. (sighs) Deep breath, deep breath. Um, I thought there was... uh, Nah, good enough on all that. <laughs> That's just, yeah. We've we've, hey, we've already gone for an hour and ten minutes, haven't we? Yeah, good enough on. <laughs> and probably a number of strange, crazy things have gone very bad. Um, I don't see the apology in my feed yet. Uh, it sometimes takes a while. It'll. It, it'll. Yeah, it'll it'll come up here. I'm sure. I'm sure it will. Okay, uh, let me go ahead and show you this one. Um, this one I found real interesting. Uh, here's here's good old Leighton Leighton Flowers, still out there. I was looking at it at uh, Leighton's um, YouTube feed, and uh, wow, just go go to Soteriology 101. Click on videos and just start scrolling down the page. 
and think to yourself, man, there's only one topic here. There, there, is, there is really only one topic here. And most of these are two and three hours long. I feel sorry for the man. I, I really do. I, I mean... I may do some long programs, but we normally cover like seven topics in the process. Sometimes textual criticism over here and church history over there and Roman Catholicism and something on Islam and, and something about astronomy over there. I mean, no, we sit around afterwards going, so what do we talk about? <laughs> it's just, it's sad, but it's fun. And this is not a one-topic program. This is not a one-topic ministry by any stretch of the imagination. Soteriology 101, one string on one instrument. Bing, 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 bing. That's just all it is. Just look for yourself. Don't, don't get upset with me. Just look for yourself. It's just constant. And it's the same stuff over and over. How do you go for three hours? I just... Anyway. So he quotes something that I stated. Human lives matter because God created to honor and glorify him. Hence, all lives matter is a divine truth, but one that is secondary to the primary truth God created for his own glory. A secular nation cannot heal these divides, only knowing the true God suffices. Now, that was actually a thread uh, where I think I expanded a little bit on um, what that means in regards to God as creator and the secular world doesn't have a creator and therefore cannot have cannot ground transcendent value to human life and you know a lot of things we talk about there but good old Leighton had to take a shot and his response was this statement is so much stronger and rings much more true when it's not said by someone whose worldview teaches things like and then we have the most quoted text from John Calvin, I do believe. Individuals are born who are doomed from the womb. Remember the Bible answer, man, doomed from the womb to certain death and are to glorify him by their destruction. Now, aside from I think most people would sit back and go, you know, um, given that cities are burning down stuff, um, and this was about the issue of someone losing their job, uh, was it the Seattle? Which was I'm was Seattle. One of the sports teams fired their longtime announcer because he was asked about Black Lives Matter. He said, "I think all lives matter. You're out of here. You're fired. No, we can't allow that to happen. You're you're done." Uh, mainly because we're just so scared to death of Black Lives Matter to begin with. Um, but you're out of here. And so I made a I made that th- this comment was to basically say here's. Here's where our problem is in our society. And so to, so to take a, a shot at that, again, shows the obsession. There's, there's just simply a level of obsession. Sacramento Kings. Sacramento Kings, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, California. I knew it was the left coast. Play-by-play announcer. Play-by-play announcer. Yep, he's gone. How dare you say all lives matter? Well, because they do. And then you've got uh, that guy with uh, Hillsong in New York. He went all off on that because he's totally sold out to social justice, critical theory, whole nine yards. I mean, just just completely uh, collapsed into it. Um, But let's ask ourselves the question. 
Human lives matter because God created us to honor and glorify him. Does Leighton believe that? I'm not sure that his system really has that foundation. I really don't. I don't see how it's consistent with his central emphasis upon the autonomy of man. How can the central reason for man's existence be to point away from the autonomous being to someone else? Um, and how is it that believing that God has a sovereign decree means that anything I said was less true? Because he even uses, it rings much more true. To whom? Uh, to unbelievers, probably. But um, I speak from a biblical perspective, not an unbelieving perspective. Which brings us then to this one, which is what I want to look at. Um, there was a tweet, and there was a, a video connected we're going to take a look at here. Uh, when apologetics goes wrong... This illustrates why consistent Calvinism and apologetics don't mix. This is a disgrace to the Christian worldview. How many people walk away from God because of these kinds of poor representations? So, it, you know, I have been criticized constantly for responding to Leighton Flowers and for refuting his arguments exegetically, historically, whatever else it might be. Um, and constantly told, you just, you're just so mean, and he's such, such a nice guy. I don't know. I don't find this tweet overly nice to you. you. You are literally saying that consistent Calvinism apologetics don't mix. So I think of, when I think of some of the greatest apologists of our modern era, they happen to have been reformed. That's why they were consistent. And so... Greg Bonson did not defeat Gordon Stein in that debate, even though he was a consistent Calvinist. And I, you know, I I would be willing to bet Leighton Flowers would probably say that's right, because he's no he ain't no presuppositionalist. I can guarantee you that. Um, but what? Turn this around. If I said this. How many of you would be taking to Twitter almost immediately to call for my repentance and everything else? This is a disgrace to the Christian worldview. Then, how many people will walk away from God because of these kinds of poor representations? See, in his worldview, that's exactly right. Because God has nothing to do with it. God's doing his best. God has already done his best. I don't know why anyone prays in Leighton Flowers' system. Because God's already doing his best. God has, there's nothing more God can do. God can't change hearts and minds. He has no sovereign decree. He's done the best he can. Now it's up to us. Now it's up to us. So really, you should use whatever means you can. Trick them into doing it. Whatever because it's up to them. It's not up to God. God's already done everything God can do. You can't ask any more of him. It's all there is. So, theology matters. And there you have an example of the, again, and people say, you've got to stop saying this. 
Why? The man-centeredness of this provisionism. It is a man-centered religion. It is barely theistic. It is all about man, man's capacities, man's abilities. Man can do all of this. And man can also... Well, how many people will walk away from God? Walk away from God means apostatize? They were walking with God? They were in right relationship with Him? Now, that may actually be the way he's thinking. Because I have a... I I ran into this. We're going to play the other one. Oops, that's the wrong one. Um... Oh, it's in it's in the um, there it is. Um, I just happened. I was looking for something, and I stumbled across. I do not have time, folks. I'm sorry. I do not have time to try to keep up with the hours and hours and hours of repetitive one string banjo playing that comes out of Soteriology 101. But I saw. I don't know how it popped up, but I saw something. This is back from. February 14th, where he's attempting to respond to my response to John Lennox on John 6. Now, by the way, uh, you read the chat. Now, do we have chat turned off on ours? You read the chat. It is, wow. If I were lying bleeding by the side of the road, most of these people in in Layton's chat would come over and kick me and then walk away. I mean, they are nasty. I, I mean, yeah, Jason Stevens. I'm watching this with the sound off as I'd rather tie a rabid wolf to my head than listen to White. Well, thank you, Jason. You're a dear brother in the Lord. <laughs> it's like, whoo. Okay. Anyway, um, so I. Do you want me to maximize this or did you zoom in on it? Huh? So just, just this little section here. Uh, I just happened to be popping around it, didn't spend almost any time, but let me, let me remind you. Uh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Hold on a second. Uh, John, did I not go here? Let me see. Oh, okay. John chapter 6, just, I've got to be brief here. But I, um, just a few days ago, we, a couple programs ago, we talked about John 6 again. The John 6, 44, 665, the connection between the two, exegetically. I pointed out that in 645, um, it is written to the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. And I pointed out that this was a description of the drawing of 644. All that the Father draws. Same thing as being given. And then 665, to whom it has been given to come to me. So these were multiple ways of expressing the methodology that the Father uses to draw the people he gives to the Son to himself. And so we had talked about being taught of God, that is receiving 
revelation from God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father, this is the same, this is the same action as learning from the Father, comes to me. And so this is the drawing, this is the effective drawing, this is consistent from 37 to 44, 45, 65. Consistency through the text. This is something Leighton Flowers has no concept of. He is so wedded to his tradition, he cannot produce an exegesis that is consistent in this way. I think somewhere in the back of his mind he knows this. I think that's why when he tries to respond, those Videos are two, three hours long, and they're just filled with lots of stories rather than exegesis. But that's exactly what comes up here. I mean, I did not listen to this whole thing. I was just clicking around in it and ran across this and said, ah, this is interesting. So with that text in mind, check this, um, check this out. Oh, I'm sorry. All right. Uh, Okay, here we go. In order that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. The one not honoring the Son is not honoring the Father, the one who sent him. Okay, so you're going, why is that? That's a John 5. Well, we were talking about John John 6, and then Lennox had had tried to go back to 524 to get a way around this, and that led us back to the issue of the relationship of the Father and the Son. And like I said... The Father draws, it's effective, the mechanism he uses is described in verse 45, verses 44 and 65 repeat the same thing, that's what was consistent with what we were looking at uh, before. Huh! It's primarily a Christological issue. So that when it says, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, has eternal life, does not come to judgment, has passed out of death into life, the primary focus is about Jesus. It's about his word being the word that gives life. It's not attempting to say, oh, and that means that all fallen men have the capacity to uh, believe and hear apart from what their relationship to God is, whether they're chosen by God, whether God... just a man. Okay, so he's about to start his commentary, but I was responding to Lennox trying to interrupt the flow of John 6 by jumping back to John 5 and saying that what John 5.24 is talking about is this autonomous free will capacity of man, so on and so forth. What I was saying is that's not even a proper interpretation of John 5, let alone does it in any way interrupt the flow of John 6. Now, listen to Flowers' attempted response. Amazing to me. Um, the lens, whole lens issue is so uh, so vital here is what he's, what he's addressing because the very point that he's making is a point that actually I believe supports Lennox's conclusion. And that is the father and the son are one. Okay. The unity of the father and the son. If you, if you listen and learn from the father, then guess what you'll do when the son comes up and starts speaking, you're going to go, Hey, I recognize that voice because I've been listening, learning from the father. And therefore, matter of fact, let me just uh, stop on this. This is a really important point here. Okay. Listen and learning from the Father. The Father's here. I've been listening and learning from Him, okay? The Son comes along on earth, flesh. He says the same things that the Father has been saying for years, through the prophets, through Revelation, through the truth, the Spirit, all these things have been said. I, I'm listening and learning from Him, and then the Son shows up down here, and guess what? I hear Him, and I recognize Him. Why? Because they're the same voice, okay? So, let's back up again. 
somebody who hasn't been listening and learning from the Father, somebody who heard the Father, heard his voice, but has denied it and has resisted it and has walked away from it. What are they going to do when the Son's voice shows up on the saints and starts speaking the same thing that the Father's been saying? They're going to say, I don't recognize that voice. That's not of God. I don't want to have anything to do with that. And they're following the voice of the world, i.e. Satan, and are of Satan. Why? Because they have failed to listen and learn from the Father, and therefore they're not recognizing the Son's voice. And so the unity of the Father and the Son in John chapter 4 and 5, as he's just redressing correctly, I agree with what he's saying, actually is supporting my position. Because they're not arbitrarily just being being rejected for no apparent reason and unable to hear because of some way they were born according to God's decree. No, they, they are they are somebody who've rejected the voice of God, and because they've rejected the voice of God, not because of something they were born with that they couldn't help, but because they have freely rejected the voice of God, they now can't recognize their own Messiah. Now, do you catch what's being said? Do you catch what's being said? So, what would that mean? If if that's true, if what's actually being said is is not what we've already demonstrated, and that is you have the consistency of 37, 44, 45, 65, this is a, these are descriptions of the mechanism that God uses to draw those that he gives to the Son. He draws them to the Son. The Father has the right to do this. All the Father gives me will come to me. No one can come to me less drawn by the Father. I will raise up on the last day. Who, how is that done? Taught of God. Hear from God. Learning from God. They all come to me. It is given to them by God. They're the only ones that can come to me. Verse 65, being repeatedly said to the individuals, which causes them to walk away. Okay, that's the consistency of John 6. What you just heard was, well, they had been hearing from the Father through the Old Testament prophets. And if they had been believing that, then when Jesus comes, they'll believe in Jesus. Nothing about the Father giving. No expression of the Father's power. Once again, it's completely God's passive. He just puts it out there, and it's the good people Listen, the bad people don't. It's all about man. It's nothing about the exercise of God's power. There wouldn't have been anything to offend in John chapter 6. They wouldn't have walked away if what he was actually saying was, hey, if you're really good, then you'll see this connection. If not, hey, then you'll walk away. No, he says, you can't come to me unless it's been given to you by the Father. That's now turned into... You will come to me if you're a good person who've been listening to God all along. Just as Lennox did, the result is turning the text on its head. On its head. And that's what you, that's what you get when you have... He was talking about, uh, about uh, lenses. Yeah, there's the lens. There's the lens right there. Uh, big time. Big time. Okay, so... Uh, let me see here. Just scroll up here. No, I'm still not seeing any. Huh. Maybe, maybe it's in my mentions here. Um, yeah, I'm not, not seeing it there either. Well, I'll, I'll keep looking. I'm sure that, I'm sure that we'll get it eventually. Um, so anyhow, uh, I want to, this is only a, well, it's actually a five minute clip. Um, yeah, we're, sorry, we're, <laughs> 
Um, this is the uh, attached video, okay, to the Calvinist apologist fail. This is some atheist, agnostic, skeptic, unbeliever, somebody named Skylar Fiction, agnostic. Um, and he's doing some kind of online thing. And we're working, we are, we definitely, you know, we're de definitely going to be moving toward being able to do more online stuff, but not like this. This is not, I don't find this overly useful. Some guy in a badly lit room uh, in his pajamas. Um, no, we, we want to put together some formal debates online that will actually, you know, have value uh, long down the road. But um, maybe this, yeah, it seems to be someone named Reformed Christian Apologist. I don't know this individual. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to criticize a couple of things you said. Hope you don't mind. Seems like a, a young fella. Um, but the quote-unquote Calvinistic apologist fail involves Leighton Flowers saying, yeah, that atheist is spot on. That should tell you something. Not, I'm not just saying, oh, if you agree with an atheist. No. What I'm saying is the arguments the atheist will make are completely man-centered, just like Leighton Flowers are. Completely man-centered. They're all about focusing upon the, the realm of the human. Squish it all down. That's what that, and because he doesn't believe the Bible's got any divine revelation in it, he's not going to be concerned about harmonizing passages. No, and unfortunately, neither are the provisionists. And so, let's listen to this, and um, we'll make some quick comments along the way. Uh oh. Um, where's Well, I'm plugged in. That says audio's on. And I got nothing. Uh, are you, are you, you got it popped up over there? You, you got the button punched? Well... Evidently, there is no audio in this version of what I downloaded. So, all right, that didn't work. I didn't, I thought I had played it before. Uh, eh. Now, nah, I'm not, I'm not going to take that amount of time. Um, it, I'm not going to make everyone sit around while I'm clicking around trying to find something like this. Um, it was your standard... Uh, argumentation that basically, uh, in fact, I first saw this when, um, man, I don't know why that would happen. Um, I first saw this when I saw somebody else responding to it, and they had posted a reference um, to my responses to um, George Bryson. George Bryson. Remember when George Bryson did all of his um, stuff based on uh, the conversation on the Bible Answer Man broadcast. And he did all the attacks on that. I might be able to... Hold on a second. There it is. 
sent. That's part of his decretive will. Got it. Everything that happens. Well, not going to be able to do the video. But um, so here's the audio. The video was boring, anyways. Uh, it's just like I said, people. Well, in fact, there was only one person you could see moving. So that that was like. But here's the audio. That's the important part. Let's uh, let's listen in. It's actually no. This is only four minutes and fifty seconds. So I don't know. Because God time. made them sin. God has created the scenario in which they would sin. That's part of His decretive will. Everything mm-hmm. that happens according to Calvinism happens because of God's will. God mm-hmm. willed that they would sin. Mm-hmm. And in the classical Calvinist position, there is compatibilism, which is the determinism that indeed affirmed by Scripture, as I even admitted and stated. But there is the fact that we still have the ability to make decisions, even though these decisions we make are not based off some autonomous will, but that it is based off of decisions. uh, You can't go. Can you go against God's will? No. Can you go against God's decree? No. Then you have no decision. If you can explain, if you want to articulate how you have a choice about something, if God says, hey, I'm going to do X Mm -hmm. and and you're saying that I have a choice on whether I'm going to do X, you need to explain how I have a choice there. Okay, so. Oh, no. Oh, good. I thought it thought it wouldn't allow me to stop at that point. Um, So back there. I have in the middle of of my bookshelf uh, two brown volumes with red uh, titles on them, which are no longer useful to me, unfortunately, uh, because the print is so ridiculously small. But those are the collect the Banner of Truth volumes of Edwards works. They're not exhaustive, of course, but uh, the Banner of Truth volumes of Edwards uh, works. And in there you have the incredible discussions that Edwards provides on the freedom of the will, the nature of the will, uh, the in-depth discussions regarding how we follow the desires of our heart, the desires that are presented to our will, um, the basis of God's judgment, and how this interfaces with God's sovereign decree. Um, I don't get the feeling that uh, Skylar, whatever it is, uh, dude, has actually um, maybe read these things or really would care to. And in fact, this is one of the reasons I think that uh, Cy Tenbruggenkate says I don't do Bible studies with atheists, with unbelievers. I go a little bit farther than Cy does as far as the questions that I'll answer on those subjects, but his point is that there is no reason to waste one's time seeking to harmonize the scriptures and understand what they're saying with someone who doesn't believe that there is any harmonization possible in the first place. So I get that, and that's the situation that you have here. And so listen carefully to the language. Um, our, Our Calvinist brother didn't catch the language the way he needed to and did not emphasize the reality of the fact that judgment is based not upon our knowledge of divine decree, which we do not have, but is based upon our doing the desires of our hearts, and that God actually restrains the evil of men, Um, and that what the atheist is trying to do is paint the picture, which Leighton does as well, of God being the primary mover, the primary actor 
in forcing things to happen, in putting the big theological gun to the back of the innocent little man and forcing him to do bad things. He's going to talk about rape, of course, and things like that. Uh, standard type of the argumentation that is that is utilized. Um, but that language must be challenged immediately if it is going to have any accuracy. And the very fact that Leighton is presenting this as, oh, this is uh, apologetic fail. If Leighton had ever actually been Reformed, then he would know that Reformed theology was being misrepresented. But he never was. That's the whole point. I've, I've, that's, that's just the fact. So we go back. Because that's a straight-up contradiction. Not necessarily, because, again, the issue is about what is the will itself. Is it completely, freely autonomous, which I reject, or is it limited? And that's what I was trying to explain before being interrupted, is the issue that when we have the issue of the will being debated here, is it autonomous or is it limited? I affirm it is limited based on the fact that God determines certain actions based off of our limited and finite nature, which desires certain things. Does God will that children will be abused? Does God will that children will be abused? You're one of his wills, any of his wills. Does he will it into existence? Okay, one of his wills, any of his wills. Almost sounds like he might be familiar with some of the language of the decree versus the revealed will, as in God reveals his will in his law, but then his decretive will, or secret will as it's sometimes called, I'm not sure that's the best term to to utilize, but... um, involves, for example, the crucifixion of Jesus or the selling of Joseph into slavery or uh, any of the uh, any of the other things that bring about the issue of Tamar, which involved rape. Um, Tamar is involved in the line of the coming of the Messiah. Um, Ruth, Boaz, people's death, all sorts of, of issues like that, uh, where you have the decree over against the revealed will of God, which is what we are then held accountable to. And so you have to make the distinction God's law says these things are wrong. If you desire these things and then act upon those desires, that is the basis upon which you are judged. You are never judged based upon the decree. You don't have knowledge of what that decree is. Um, And again, you're dealing with someone here who can only have a two-dimensional idea of any of this. That should be obvious even to Leighton Flowers. Because the atheist, if he was debating Leighton Flowers, could just simply change the, the ground rules and say, oh, so you say that God has exhausted knowledge of the future events. This is why I say Leighton Flowers would love to be an open theist. Um, but you, you believe God has exhausted knowledge of future events. And so he knew when he created that these, all these rapes that you object to for the Calvinists, all these rapes would take place. So he knew it was going to happen. He brought that world into existence, knowing it was going to happen, but he didn't have any purpose for it. So that's the any theist other than an open theist has to deal with this particular issue. I think the provisionist, by losing the divine decree, doesn't have any meaningful response to any of this. But that's that's the language game that's being played by the atheists here to try to create a um, primarily emotional um, response. Since that children will be abused. In the creative sense, yes. 
So God decrees child abuse. Mm-hmm. At rape, he decrees that also. Mm-hmm. He decrees and whatever all. God decrees, oh. it has to come in. Okay, at this point, what what our Christian brother should have been saying immediately was to make turn the language that's being used around and say God has decreed whatsoever comes to pass so that anything that takes place in time actually has meaning. Otherwise, you have completely meaningless activity taking place. You have, you have sin, you have rape, you have abuse, you have wars, all these things, and they have no meaning. God is working all things after the counsel of his will. And the, in the final analysis, and this is beyond our capacity as finite human beings right now to be able to see, in the final analysis, we're going to see how all of this worked together for our good and for his glory. We can't see that right now, but we affirm there is no such thing as meaningless evil over against others who do affirm that God is constantly disappointed, that God is constantly upset, that God is constantly sad, that God is constantly frustrated, that God is constantly trying to do things he cannot accomplish in this world. Now, those are the people that are, you know, open theists or people like that. But then you've got the provisionists who say, God knew all of this was going to happen. And he knew all of this evil. But he still brought it into existence for no purpose at all. There's, there, there's, no, there's no redemptive purpose. There's, you know, after the fact, God can try to bring something good out of it. But he knew that from the beginning. And the primary mover in all of this is always man. Never God. So even if he brings good out of it, it's only limited to what man will allow him to do anyways. Man, 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 man. It's all the way through it. Into, 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 uh, into, uh, into reality. That is what Proverbs 16, 33, and various other passages state, yes. Sure, and rape is evil. Rape is an, act, is an action that indeed is immoral, yes. Yes, but God decrees that people will do it. Mm-hmm. Why? Okay. I guess you have to double-click this thing to get it to stop. I don't know why. Um, so God decrees that people do it. God decrees all the fabric of time, which includes all of the evil. He's trying to make that you have an innocent human being who otherwise would never do something like this, but God decrees that it's going to happen. The reality is we would all be rapists if it were not for the restraining hand of God. That's how bad we are. But God restrains that. He does allow the expression of our evil hearts in a limited fashion so as to accomplish his purposes. But the idea, the idea in the back of this guy's mind and what he's trying to communicate to others is this, oh, this poor, innocent puppet that is just forced to do bad things and then God beats it up. And that's exactly how other people present it, too. And that's not what it is. For, like I said earlier, for his own purpose and for his own glory. 
for his own pleasure, right? So tell me, tell me what that means. So God has somebody rape somebody with his mm-hmm. decretive will, and he does it for his own, um, what was the word you used? Wasn't pl- I used pleasure, uh, for his mm-hmm. own glory. So how is it bringing glory to God when he has somebody rape a woman? Okay, biblically, like I said, there are, unfortunately, instances of rape in the Old Testament. And what we discover is that they are part of the narrative of the redemption that God brings through the people of Israel in the coming of the Messiah. So, could there have been more? If God hadn't restrained it, there certainly would have been. But he did restrain it. But is that, is that, is the coming of the Messiah not a part of God's decree? Well, most definitely it is. And that could only come in one way. You have prophecies, you know, once the prophecies failed, then you, you got, got some real serious problems. So, again, the idea is not these are a bunch of innocent people running around that God then grabs one of them and says, go do something terrible. That's what's being presented. It's for his pleasure. What his pleasure is, is working all things for our good and his glory and bring about the redemption of God's people. Can, could the people in the days when these things happened have seen how those events would eventuate in God's glory? No, not in their limits of lifetime. They could not. They could not. And that's the same thing in our, in, our, in our situation. There are many times we are asked to trust God's promise that he will work all things to the good. And we don't see that in our life. But we get to see it in hindsight. Many times we get to see it in hindsight. As he states in the passage, and not just in Romans 9, but elsewhere within, especially Romans 3, that he uses so to demonstrate the wrath of God upon the sinner, upon the wicked who who do these particular acts, so that his justice may be seen upon those who act upon sin, and then to give grace to the others. So he, in order to show people how powerful he is, he's going to have people rape people so that he could punish the people who can't go against what he's decreed. Now, once again, mm-hmm. oh, and he said, uh-huh, that probably wouldn't have be the best, best response, uh-huh, to what he just said. Um, again, it stuns me that someone who claims to be a former Calvinist could promote something like this and go, look, see, Calvinism and apologetics don't mix. La, 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 la. That, that's, that's what stuns me about this. I'm not, I am, this Skylar dude, that's, that's exactly what I expect from the unregenerate mind. It's exactly what I, who are you, oh man? I mean, he is a creature re, suppressing the knowledge of God. He's in rebellion against God. Doesn't believe the Bible's consistent with itself. It's exactly what I would expect. He does, he has absolutely no interest. But I do not understand how even Arminians, synergists, provisionists, whatever you call yourselves, how you can listen to this and not realize, you know, um, okay, I don't like Calvinism's answers, but what would, how would I answer uh, that? Because you sitting back going, well, no, 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 God didn't decree any of that. Did he know it was going to happen? Well, uh, yeah, and he brought it into existence. Well, yeah, so you, you're, your guy's just shooting the cosmic dice and goes, oh, that's cool. That's fun. You don't think this through? You don't realize where the problems are here? These are, these are basic objections against theism as a whole. You, don't seem, just don't seem, you just don't even want to admit that. 
You just don't want to go there. In fact, with flowers, what drives me nuts is when he was debating Chris Day, he's like, well, it could be like this, and well, it could be like that. Instead of just driving a stake down saying, this is what I believe, and this is the core to everything else, and I'm going to defend this. Instead, it's like, well, a Molinism might say this, and open theism might say that, and I'm sorry, I have zero respect for that kind of, that kind of um, approach. Yeah. You think this sounds reasonable? From the Christian worldview, it is the only thing that can be reasonable versus all the other different worldviews out there. Yes. Well, no. You you could you can believe in just a deist God and it would be perfectly reasonable. <laughs> that God wouldn't make people that kind of God would make people do things like that. Catch that would make people do things like that. Again, there was no challenge of his constantly turning this into there was no discussion of, of primary and secondary causes. There there needs to be primary and secondary causes, because this guy is making God the only cause, as do the provisionists, ignoring the reality of the secondary causes. And how many times have I, have I explained? If you want to demonstrate the reality and importance of secondary causes, that is what's happening within time, just point to the fact that Jesus became the God-man. And what he did in time was absolutely vital. No puppets, real, important, the interface of time and eternity itself. Is a skeptic going to care? No. But there has to be a statement that challenges this confusion of primary and secondary causes and an explanation that the judgment is based upon the intentions of the hearts of the secondary causes, not the primary cause person who in every instance is acting in pure holiness. In pure holiness. That has to be emphasized. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know that it would be... I think to some of you young guys out there that are starting to get into getting online and getting your feet wet, I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and say, hey, guys... Um, Leave it all to us old guys, uh, because no, you've you've got to get your feet wet and you've got to got to get some experience. And I learned and and all the rest of that stuff. At the same time, just because somebody comes along and says let's have a debate doesn't mean that's necessarily the best thing to do. Um, there is a balance that has to be found. And some of you guys have more patience in one area, more knowledge in another area. Um, I'm not saying that the decisions that I would make need to guide and govern what other people would do or say. Um, you have to stand before your Lord and answer for the decisions you make just as, just as I do. Um, but there are some topics that I... I would suggest are far better handled within the community because there's really not a meaningful foundation to have the conversation with someone outside the community and specifically the interpretation of specific formulations of Christian doctrine might fall into that category. Someone who doesn't believe that the Bible is consistent how am I going to have a debate with them about what the Bible teaches about subject X, whether it be the nature of the will, predestination, election? Now, I've, I've debated, I debated one atheist on Tom Lyka's show 
uh, years ago that um, what I f- enjoyed about his book, I need to track that book down again, but what I enjoyed about his book, this is in the 80s, uh, he just came straight out and said, I- I've read the Bible, and it, it plainly teaches predestination election. I don't know how anybody can come up with anything other. I, I, just, I just don't even get it. So I've always found that rather, that one was rather rather interesting. But I'm just not sure that this is the topic to be dealing with with this guy. You need to be challenging the very ability that this guy has to justify knowledge. Um, this may be about 10 topics down the road, uh, in, in my personal opinion. And then the important thing always, guys, to remember is it's one thing to affirm the biblical truth of God's sovereignty. It's another thing to make sure that people understand the basis upon which judgment takes place. Um, that basis is the intentions of the heart. And someone says, well, God decreed all of those things too. Again, never is that understood as God taking an innocent person and forcing them to do bad things. The picture in Scripture is always restraining hand of God. That's why the provisionist, because he doesn't have a biblical doctrine of the depravity of man, can't, can't go there. You, you, you have man that can do good things without grace, w- without the, the uh, energizing of grace in his life. And so they, they really can't go there anyways. Yes? I was going to say, I, I, the topic came up on Twitter a couple of days ago where I brought up the issue of imprecatory prayers. This is one of the reasons why we pray imprecatory prayers, the idea that there are evil men out in society that are violent, that do violent things, and we pray that God would disrupt them from our path. We pray that God would break their teeth that he would bear his arm. We pray these things for that very reason, because there are evil men, violent men, roaming about. Okay. So just thought I'd uh, interject that. <laughs> I'm, just trying to make, I'm just trying to make the connection to, uh, to what I was just... Um... Well, again, it's, it, it, was, it was missing from the, the discussion there and the idea that there is a sin. The, we live in a fallen world. That didn't come up, you know. Well, yeah. Well, you know, there there needs to be an emphasis, like I said, uh, upon the consistency of the standard of judgment that God uses, and that his the atheist was saying, God forces you to sin, and then punishes you for doing what He forced you to do. That is a simplification. That is a misrepresentation. Um, that that does not. That would not only empty the incarnation of its meaning, but, but everything else in Scripture concerning the justice of God as well. So, anyway, we're out of time. We covered a lot of ground today. I won't remember all of it, but thankfully I did not delete my list, so I'll actually be able to get a decent description <laughs> written up this time. But two hours. Thanks for listening. Um, I think we're supposed to be back again tomorrow. Hopefully, at some point. We'll see. We'll let you know. Thanks for watching. God bless.